Mark chapter 2. We started just a few weeks ago a journey through the book of Mark. Mark is the second book of the New Testament. And what we're trying to do over these weeks, really months, that we're going to be in this book together is, is learning all we can from the example, the life of Jesus. How did Jesus live his life? And then how do we follow his example? Mark chapter 2, we're right in the middle, uh, just a few verses today. Uh, Mark chapter 2, verse 13 to 17. Here at Hope, we are a part of a denomination uh, called the Christian and Missionary Alliance. Next week, uh, part of our name uh, is, is relates to missions and, and, and taking the love of Jesus uh, to another country, someone leaving uh, their country of origin and going to another place to tell people uh, about the love of Jesus is what we would call missions. So next week, uh, we have a couple, a uh, family, Christopher and Amanda Edmond, uh, who are who are in Gabon? Who minister in Gabon at a hospital in Bongolo, this little village in the middle of nowhere, uh, Bongolo Evangelical Hospital. Uh, they work there. They serve there. They're going to be with us next week, uh, so I encourage you to be with us. Uh, but um, I want to talk a little bit about our founder. Um, here's a picture of him. Uh, this is A.B. Simpson. He was rocking the hipster beard before it was in. And uh, so this is A.B. Simpson. His wife was Margaret. They had six children. Um, they're originally from Canada. And none of this will be on the test at the end. But uh, so they're, they're originally from Canada. And in the late 1800s, uh, 18, I want to get their date right, 1873 to be exact, when he was about, when they were about 30 years old, they left Canada, came to the States, pastored a church in Kentucky, and then eventually uh, began pastoring a church in the heart of Manhattan. Um, it was 13th Street Presbyterian Church in downtown Manhattan. And when they moved there, uh, uh, A.B. Simpson and his wife, Margaret, really had this, this burden, this, this desire to reach out and, and tangibly love people that they sensed um, kind of were being overlooked, that, 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 that they weren't being um, reached out to, they weren't being cared for, they, they were kind of just forgotten about here in Manhattan. So at that time, um, I mean, immigrants are just flooding uh, into New York City, uh, many staying there in New York City. So, so Dr. Simpson began building relationships, friendships with many uh, dock workers. Uh, many of the immigrants found jobs on the docks, and they were loading and unloading ships that were coming into New York City's uh, harbor. And he just began going down there and just befriending and getting to know their, these men and their families. And, and naturally, he's pastoring a church. So he, as he built these relationships and they would ask questions about his church, he just naturally said, why don't you come to be a part of our church? It's here's the address. Here's the location. Here's when we meet. We'd love to have you uh, become part of our church. And, and many of these dock workers, these immigrants, started coming to their church there in New York City. And that didn't sit well with the leadership of that church. And they pulled Dr. Simpson into a meeting and started having conversations about if these people are welcomed at this church. And, and, and they came to a decision. They, they, the leadership, and again, this is no way uh, saying anything negative about the Presbyterians. I love the Presbyterians. But in that, in that church, in that local congregation, the leadership in that, in that place said, these people, they made a decision. They said, these people aren't welcome. Welcomed here. So Dr. Simpson and his wife Margaret and their children had a decision to make that day, that, that time. 
Do we stay? Do we stay here, continue to pastor this church? My understanding is he was uh, doing very well financially in that day and time, um, was taken care of very well. Or do we leave? And leaving meant stepping into the unknown, not knowing what, where they would go, how they provide for their children, their family. And they prayed, thought the Lord about it, and they made the decision to leave. And they left that church, stepping into really the unknown with a ragtag, so to speak, group of people. And they began a church called the Gospel Tabernacle. And this is well before our denomination ever was started, but these are the early days of it. And from that church grew to what we have uh, our denomination today. But those are the... Those are the early days of our denomination. Dr. Simpson and his wife Margaret felt and believed that all were welcome, welcomed. That there shouldn't be people that are overlooked, but that all people are to be loved. All people are to be welcomed. All people are to be reached out to. That God's forgiveness isn't available just to a select few but it's available to all people. And they just didn't believe that in their heads. They lived it out. And they put themselves in relationships, friendships around people who didn't know Jesus. And even those relationships caused people to question what they were doing. And they didn't come up with this on their own. This wasn't like their own idea. But I believe they were just simply following the example of Jesus. And that's whose example we're going to learn from today. We're going to read here. Let me just read for us in Mark chapter 2, verse 13. We're going to watch Jesus love people that were being overlooked, that were being forgotten about. It says this in verse 13. Once again, Jesus went out beside the lake. A large crowd came to him and he began to teach them. As he walked along, he saw Levi, son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax collector's booth. Follow me. Familiar words. So we, we read about him calling others to follow him in chapter 1. Jesus told him, and Levi got up and followed him. While Jesus was having dinner at Levi's house, many tax collectors and sinners were eating with him and his disciples, for there were many who followed him. When the teachers of the law, who were Pharisees, saw him eating with sinners and tax collectors, they asked his disciples, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners. On hearing this, Jesus said to them, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. Last week, we watched Jesus heal a paralytic, a, paralytic, a man who was unable to walk, who was unable to crawl. And we learned that Jesus has the, has the authority on earth to forgive sins. And what we're going to see today in this, just these few verses is who does this forgiveness extend to? How far does this forgiveness extend? Who are the people that this forgiveness extends to? And what we're going to see here is that Jesus, we're going to watch Jesus be a friend to sinners. We're going to watch Jesus be a friend to sinners. Now, I want to, I want to just put this out there because sometimes what happens when we see a statement like this, a friend to sinners, what our minds naturally do sometimes is we start to think about other people. Right? My mind does it. Sinners. Oh, this group of people. These people. This person. 
But I hope as we go through this, and we'll talk about this towards the end, that the reality is, friends, I'm thankful that Jesus is a friend to sinners because we're all sinners. Every single one of us. We've all missed the mark. We've all missed the mark. Our, our, our missing of the mark might never reach headlines in the news. But we all know. We know ourselves. We know we miss the mark regularly. And I'm thankful today that Jesus is a friend to sinners like all of us. What we're going to learn today and watch today is how can we grow here? We sit, think of A.B. Simpson, 1873, so we're talking 145 years later. There are still people, I think today, in our neighborhoods and schools and communities and workplaces that are being overlooked, that we miss, we maybe forget about, we, we look past, we don't rub shoulders with. And we're going to learn from Jesus' example of how to be a friend of sinners. How do we be people who grow in these types of relationships? We're going to look at just three insights from this text. We're going to look at three words. Purpose, presence, and perspective. I believe these three words come out in this text. Jesus had a sense of purpose in what he did. He was with people. He was present with people. He rubbed shoulders with people. He was close to people. And he talks about perspective, how we view ourselves, impacts our actions. So let's pick up the story. Let's work through this, just these few verses. Verse 13, again, it says this, once again, Jesus went out beside the lake. This is the, the this lake, the Sea of Galilee. Jesus is going out there and we're told in verse 13, a large crowd came to him. A large crowd continues to follow Jesus because a number of things have happened. He has set demon-possessed people free. He has healed multitudes. He healed a man from leprosy. He raised up a paralytic who we don't know how long, the last time he had walked, but he carried out his mat. These, a word is spreading about Jesus. So when he, when he goes out around the lake, this large crowd is gathering around him. Um, and it says, and he, he began to teach them. So he's speaking to them, but I get the sense here, he's not just going to give a lecture today. When he talks about what does it look like to be a friend to sinners, he says, I'm not just going to give you a lecture, a seminar, a workshop. I'm going to do it in front of you. And then learn from me. I believe that is his model of teaching today for us. It's, it's on-the-job training, so to speak. It's not a seminar. It's not a workshop. It's not a classroom. But it's by the lake, rubbing shoulders with people that don't know Jesus. As he walked along, he saw Levi, son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax collector's booth. And Jesus said to him, follow me. Same words that he said to, to Andrew and Simon, uh, excuse me, Simon and Peter, the same words he said to James and John, follow me. And Levi got up and followed him. He saw Levi sitting at a tax collector's booth. He saw him. I don't get the sense that Levi flagged him down. Wait, hey, come on, I'd like to talk to you. Can you come over here for a second? Levi was sitting at his tax collector's booth. He was doing what he was paid to do. He, 
he was collecting taxes. He's there by the lake. He's there by the sea. And this would have been a place where major roads would have come through. Again, nothing like we would have today, but major trade routes. And, and you have all the fishing activity that's happened. And many times fishermen would have to bring their catch to these tax collectors. And they would have to pay taxes on what they caught. And, and, and many people did not, they saw the tax collectors, but they ignored the tax collectors. They wouldn't acknowledge the tax collectors. They would maybe, they would pay their tax, but they would get past or through that experience as fast as they could. Because in this first century context, tax collectors, and many of you know this already, but for those who don't, tax collectors were some of the most despised people in this first century place. Now, I know the IRS today is not looked highly upon. <laughs> but it's completely different. I mean, our perspective of the IRS versus Jews' perspective of tax collectors. See, tax collectors, many of them were Jews, but they were working for the enemy. They were working for the Roman Empire. They were collecting taxes for Rome. And what Rome said is, we don't really care how much you collect. As long as we get our cut, you can take as much as you want. So many, if I don't want to say all, because there probably was a few that were honest, but many, many, many tax collectors would add percentages to the amount of tax so they would line their own pockets and then pay Rome. We have Zacchaeus, who's the short tax collector, who is wealthy. So he most likely had tax collectors under him who gave money to him. So then he gave money to Rome. And many would become so wealthy because they're just lining their own pockets and they were oppressing their own people. And Jews would look past them. They despised them. You don't talk to them. You don't, you don't even, that Jesus would invite this despised, wicked man to follow him is scandalous. And I want to say that Jesus moved with a sense of purpose. He saw Levi and he said, follow me. He was willing to move towards Levi and not away from Levi. He was willing to say, you know what? I know this guy is most likely doing very dishonest things, but he is still not outside the reaches of my forgiveness. And I believe that enough that I'm willing to say, follow me, Levi. Be one of my disciples. Now, it's interesting. If you know the list, the names of the disciples or apostles, Levi's name is not in there. So there's some debate. Is this Matthew? Maybe he's just called by a different name. Some disciples have two names. There's James, the son of Alphaeus, in the list of disciples. Maybe this is his brother. Or maybe this is Levi, son of Alphaeus, not related to James, but just another one of the followers of Jesus. Jesus just didn't have his 12. But there was a larger group of disciples that followed him. And what he's saying is, you are not outside the reaches of God's forgiveness. Many Pharisees would even pray, and we have Jesus telling a parable uh, in Luke 18, we're not going to turn there, but this Pharisee, Jesus tells a story that just gives you perspective on how people viewed tax collectors. The Pharisee in the parable in Luke 18 prays, thank God I'm not like the tax collectors. 
That's how despised these people were. They were forgotten. They were overlooked. They were ignored. There's no way they could be one of Jesus' followers. But Jesus moved with a sense of purpose. I wonder today, as we think about moving with a sense of purpose, who might be the people or person that you and I have written off? Who might be the person or people that are beyond the reaches of God's grace in our minds and God's forgiveness? Who are the people based on their lifestyle choices, their actions, the way they speak, what they believe? We're not even giving them the time of day. We're ignoring them. And maybe we see them on a regular basis. Jesus moved with a sense of purpose. He moved towards those who needed to experience his grace, ultimately coming to earth towards all of us. I wonder today what might it look like for you and I to move with a sense of purpose, to befriend those who don't believe the same things we do, who, to befriend and be in friendships and relationships with those who don't uh, live the same lifestyle that we do, to pursue those, not to necessarily conquer them or to win them, but to say, I care about you as a person made in the image of God, and God has put you in my life. And I might not agree with what you believe, and I might not agree with what you do, but we are in, you are in my life. We, we rub shoulders. We see each other on a, base, all on a regular basis. And I'm going to, with purpose, move towards you. What about the neighbors that you and I live around? You might like your neighborhood. You might hate your neighborhood. You might love the people across the hall. You might really not like the people across. You might not like the people who live above you in the apartment because of the music they play or how loud they are at certain times of night. But God has put you around them. Are we moving towards these people with a sense of purpose? This is a very unique time of year in Ohio, Northeast Ohio. Friends, these are several months that we get to do something that we don't get to do for about four or five months. It's go outside. Yeah. <laughs> And something amazing has happened already these last, you know, month or so. Even I know the weather's not great today, but even last month or so, our neighbors are back out. Oh, I do have neighbors. There they are, you know. What does it look like? What might it look like this summer, spring, summer, fall, to live in our neighborhoods with a sense of purpose? As you go for maybe walks through your neighborhood when there's that neighbor out on the driveway I used to stop and pause and have a conversation. Maybe it's to invite people to your home for a cookout or a meal. Maybe it's realizing or seeing with a whole different perspective when you are invited in for a birthday party or you invited for a party or you invited over to say, wow, this is an op there. They're inviting me in. What would it look like for you and I to live, to move towards people with a sense of purpose? We're going to learn that the Pharisees looked down on sinners, but Jesus looked for sinners. He looked for them and moved towards them when the Pharisees looked down and avoided. What might it look like for you and I to live with a sense of purpose? Let's see how the Pharisees respond. Verse 15, while Jesus was having dinner at Levi's house. Now, in the original um, um, 
Greek language here, this, instead of saying at Levi's house, it actually says at his house. There's some debate, who's his house? Is it Levi's, as what the NIV translates, at Levi's house? Or, or there's even some theory, and again, it's theory. That's all it is, just I thought there. Maybe, instead of Levi hosting the banquet uh, for all these people and friends and Jesus, that Jesus is the one who's hosting the banquet. There's some debate there, but uh, we'll just say uh, for the text here uh, that, that Levi's hosting it. While Jesus was having dinner at Levi's house, many, not a few, but many tax collectors and sinners were eating with him and his disciples, for there were many who followed him. So many are following, many are eating, tax collectors and sinners there, many who followed him. When the teachers of the law, who were Pharisees, saw him eating, so somehow, we don't know how, but somehow they saw this taking place. They saw him eating with sinners and tax collectors. They asked his disciples, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? There's a lot to unpack there. So the, the many tax collectors and sinners, let's talk about sinners, this was a label that the Pharisees would have given to a certain category or group of people. These were people whose sins, if you will, were blatantly obvious. These were, of, these were people of low reputation in that community. Some believe we're talking prostitutes. Some believe we're talking thieves. And you might not think tax collectors, but like we, we have different categories for people, but tax collectors would have been in that category. Sinners. These are morally unclean people. And the Pharisees, which literally means separated ones, they didn't rub shoulders with these types of people. Because there was a fear in them and their desire was good. The, the desire in them, the, like the main core motivating principle for the Pharisees was to be holy. God calls us in Leviticus to be holy as I am holy. That's what they held to. That's what they believed. That's how they practiced their faith. We are to be holy. We're to be different. We're to be separate from. And what that, um, what that, that belief caused them to do, though, was to separate themselves from those who needed God. They didn't have meals with tax collectors. They would never even think about having a meal with a thief. They would never even think about having meals with prostitutes. They would even, never even think about having meals with these people. Because there was this fear, if I rub shoulders, if I dip my hand in the same bowl that you're dipping your hand in to get the food out, somehow I will become unclean. I will be contaminated by you. Instead of seeing the way their life can contaminate, so to speak, the people they're with. And because of this belief, they stayed away. Their way of following God kept them from those who needed to hear about God and experiencing God. Yet notice Jesus' presence. Notice how Jesus is present. His presence is with these people. 
He's in under the same roof. His hand is going into the same bowl. He's sitting around the same table as them. And this is a sense of a banquet. The, the idea is he probably is reclining, and he's reclining around the table with all these people. Levi, it makes sense that Levi, these are his people. These other tax collectors, he invites them in. Come and see this one. Come and see the man who I'm following now, I'm learning from now. And, and they come to this place. And I don't get the sense that Jesus is condoning their behavior, what they do. But he is communicating they are loved and valued and worth and can be transformed by God's grace being with them. At least we think this is just a one-time uh, situation where Jesus is with these types of people. Like maybe one time he was out of his mind and, you know, just it was late. He was tired. I'm going to have a meal with these people. And he never did it the rest of his time on earth. Friends, that's the, that didn't happen. I believe it happens so much, or we get the sense in the New Testament that it happens so much that in, that in Matthew 11, Jesus, when he's talking about how the Pharisees view him, he says, you call me a friend of tax collectors and sinners. He did this so much that they called him, you are the friend. And that would be an insult in this context to be considered a friend of a tax collector. I think, I believe, presence is so key. Because if we're not close to people, it's easy to make judgment calls. I think we've all had the experience where you've been in the store, grocery store, wherever you might be, and you're pushing your cart down the aisle, and there's a child with their parent, and that child is throwing a temper tantrum, like, oh, get out. And you see that, I mean, you hear that first. And you see that, and you're pushing your cart down there. And sometimes when we, we see that taking place, we're filling in the blanks. You know what that child needs? <laughs> they need some discipline, rules, boundaries. You know, they, this is what they need. Mind you, we have no idea who that person is. We're not close to them. But I wonder what might happen if we get close to them. Maybe we learn it's a, a, a single mom doing it on her own. And dad's maybe been gone, or dad's in jail, or, or dad has never been around. Or maybe it's a single dad doing it on his own, and maybe his wife passed away, or he's never, I mean, you know, who knows? Or maybe that child has some special needs, or we have no idea. But we can naively fill in the blank if we're not close to it. And that's where I believe presence is so key because you and I could be filled with so many ideas and thoughts and make judgment calls about people who don't believe the same things we do or follow the same lifestyle practices as we do or who live lives that are contrary to the word of God. We can fill in the blanks. We can receive, we can naively receive all of our information or a lot of our information, since they all, but a lot of our information from media and what Facebook says and what Twitter says and what Fox News says and what CNN says, all this information filling. And then when we see people who are living certain ways that we know are wrong, we are filling in the blanks. But I don't know about you, but as I've moved closer to people that are living lifestyles and making decisions and that blatantly go contrary to the word of God, the more, the closer I get or I'm welcomed into these relationships, these friendships, 
into their homes, the more I get to know them and maybe why they believe the things they do and why they do the things they do. Because we're present, we're listening, and we're with them. Jesus, again, is not condoning or endorsing what they're doing, but he's saying, you are valued. I'll be with you. And he did that continually. What might it look like for you and I not to be distant, but to move towards, to be present with people and get to know them. Friendships with those who believe, don't believe the same things we do, live the same way we do. What would it look like for you and I to do that? The story ends with this. The section we're going to talk about ends in this verse. On hearing this, now, the, the disciple, the, the Pharisees ask the question, why does this fellow eat? Why does he eat? I can't believe he's having a meal with them. I wonder if it was one of those moments the disciples like, who's going to take this question? <laughs> Peter? You, Peter, I think you could take this one. You know, maybe there's just awkward silence. Because they didn't ask Jesus. They asked the disciples. But Jesus says this, on hearing this, Jesus said to them, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. I believe what Jesus is saying to them is you think you're well. You think you're healthy. You, you don't think you need a doctor, but you do. You're sick. We're all sick. You're all sick. I'm talking about physical sickness. We're talking about spiritual sickness. And the Pharisees viewed themselves as healthy. But Jesus, through this, this statement here, is giving them a sense of perspective. A healthy sense of perspective on how to see themselves. The reality is everyone in that house that day, the, the prostitutes, the thieves, the, the, the tax collectors, the sinners, that category, that group of people, and the Pharisees, they're all sinners. The Pharisees don't see it. They think they're doing okay. I believe the tax collectors and the thieves and murderers and prostitutes, they see it. They know it, but are all sinners there. One sees it, one doesn't. And Jesus, I believe, is saying, you're all sick. You're all in need of forgiveness. And I believe this is so important for us. If we don't have this, I, and again, it's not self-condemnation. It's not beating ourselves down, but I think it's a healthy sense of our sickness, our, a healthy sense of our brokenness, a healthy sense of that we're all in need of God's grace. Because if we struggle, if we don't have this, I think, healthy sense, we are going to put people in categories. I'm better than, and we all have people that we know we're better than. We all do. And sometimes the, if our perspective is off, and we feel like we're better than, or not, we can judge, and we can develop ideas about people, we can even stay away from those that desperately need God's grace. One person has said this. I don't know who this quote is accredited to, but one person that says, Christianity is one beggar telling another beggar where he found bread. We're all beggars in need of bread. And what we're doing is telling another beggar where to find the bread. We want to continue to be a church that welcomes all people, that loves all people, 
might be messy. It'll probably be messy at times. There might be kids involved in our youth ministry and our kids' ministry that don't believe the same things our kids do. But that's the kind of place we want to be. Welcoming for all people. This is one of those passages that reminds us how we live our lives beyond these walls is vitally important. We can, we can sometimes, I don't know if you do this, but sometimes we can like grade our Christianity. How am I doing? We can give ourselves grades. Maybe not put on a paper, but just in our minds we can think. And, and sometimes we can, we can feel pretty good about our walk with God if we're at church on Sunday, if we're involved in Bible studies, and if we're doing all these things. But sometimes we miss the call to live for Jesus around those who don't know him beyond these walls. And this type of passage reminds all of us that it's not just this is vitally important what we're doing here today. But it's not the end. It's a means to an end. To encourage and equip and help you and I live for Jesus beyond these walls. Because you and I are, I believe, strategically placed around people who need him. Who are being overlooked. Who have questions about faith. Who wonder, am I welcomed? Am I welcomed? Is God's forgiveness available? And as we think about growing in this way, let's live even these next several months with a sense of purpose, with a sense of presence, being present with people, listening to them, asking questions. We don't approach people who don't believe the same things we do. At least this is sometimes the way I have done it before is I have things you need to hear and I'm going to make sure you hear them because I know what you need to hear. Now, does that work sometimes? Yes, it does sometimes. But here's what I want to encourage us to move towards. Instead of saying, here's what you need to hear, I want to get to know you. And then I'll figure out what maybe you need to hear. But I want to get to know you first. And we start there with the relationship. And we start there loving them. You know the expression, people don't care what you know until they know you care. And I believe that's so true for us as followers of Jesus. And might we all live with a sense, a healthy sense of perspective as to our own need of a Savior. I'm thankful today that Jesus truly is a friend of sinners. I'm thankful he's our friend today. So I pray that God would help us be like A.B. Simpson and his wife Margaret, who 145 years earlier said there are people that are being overlooked and we're going to move towards them. I don't know who the, might, the people in your sphere of influence that are being maybe overlooked. But might we move towards them and rub shoulders and share the love of Jesus with them through the way we live our lives, offering and sharing with them about God's forgiveness and that he is a friend of sinners. Allow me to pray for us and we'll sing a song and then we'll wrap up today. So God, I want to thank you just uh, for this passage. I want to thank you for uh, your example. And I want to thank you that it, wasn't a lecture, it wasn't a seminar, it wasn't a workshop. It was, come follow me. I'm going to go talk to this tax collector. And then I'm going to have a meal with him. I pray you'd help us to live with that same sense of purpose, to see people that we can easily overlook. To be present with people. Listen to them. Hear their stories. Hear their hurts. Ask questions and share you with them. 
And help us, God, continually have a healthy sense of perspective that we are all sick. We all need the great physician's healing touch and power in our lives. None of us are righteous apart from you. So I pray, God, you'd help us as a church to be live this way personally, live this way as a church community, to follow your example today and to be a friend to sinners. And we pray these things in your name. Amen.